We're going to be in Romans chapter 7. So if you grab a copy of Scripture, open to the book of Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, the 7th chapter. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that when somebody says open to Romans, you better have your own Bible because you're going to need it. We're going to look at the 7th chapter and the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, absolutely, positively the greatest systematic theologian that ever lived. The fact that God chose to communicate um, just the, the depth and the structure and the glory of the gospel and what really a theological study is in the book of Romans. He chose to use the Apostle Paul to speak to and through. And um, I just absolutely love the book of Romans. I love it because it's so... Uh, sequential and and uh, if so if you get lost in chapter five you're doomed in chapter six that's just how it goes so we have just concluded going through chapter six and now we're going to jump into chapter seven and i hope my hope and prayer is that as we have waded through these texts over the last couple of weeks that you are able to see the correlation on sunday morning with what we are talking about in these messages on sunday night and hopefully Tonight, again, remember we did part two last week when I was really expecting to do this message last week. And so um, you will see some connection between the things we've been talking about and particular this morning as we look at this text. And this is a, a glorious opportunity for believers tonight to really to settle some things in your heart and to uh, set yourself uh, on a, a path to uh, immense production in glorious uh, fruitfulness in the gospel. So let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll get busy. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your precious word. And Lord, I, I stand humble before it, Lord, admitting that God, apart from your spirit, Lord, we will accomplish zero here tonight, Lord. And Father, I need your grace and I need your help and I need your wisdom, Lord, to communicate the truths of this magnificent passage of scripture lord and father i am just uh, amazed by your goodness in giving us your word every time i read it every time i preach it and lord every time i hear it and so god will you bless our time together tonight will you make it what we cannot make it lord will you make it productive and fruitful lord for uh teaching and rebuking lord and god make us righteous in what we hear, Father, we thank you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I uh, began thinking about Romans chapter 7, the first thing that started to roll around in my mind was the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, because really, we're going to talk tonight about the two wars. Uh, and and the, this war that we've sort of been alluding to and, and discussing uh, this issue of being dead to sin in Romans chapter 6. Well, now we're going to talk about there's these two, uh, there's two wars. There's the war of the unsaved and then the war of the saved. And it's so critically important that you understand the difference between these two wars and the way that you used to battle and the way that you will now currently battle in Christ. And it is as if oftentimes the Christian life is sort of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I mean, I'm not... Uh, an expert on the uh, story. I just know sort of the, uh, you know, the, the children's tale kind of goofball story. I don't know the real classic literary story, but I understand it is very short. And I think I once had the book, but I'm just not much for fiction. I'm sorry. I'm just not. Um, so my wife makes fun of me because she always looks at me reading and thinks no one but you reads those books. That's what she tells me. But amen, I don't know, but I don't, I don't. But the thing about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is that it's, it's basically one person. And so he formulates some sort of port, uh, potion, drinks it. And then the bad, Mr. Hyde is the bad person within him. And Dr. Jekyll is the good person within him. And so now you're beginning to identify, even if you don't know the story, you know that to, to be a Christian is to struggle. And there's this constant warfare that goes on within us and and the bible comes along and sort of lays out these uh, these these amazing statements like hey you're dead to sin now and and we sort of recoil and just think well thanks but how exactly does that work because i'm still fighting and struggling and it's like these two things are, are are going on within us and so 
hopefully, if you've been with us, you know that the battle within us currently is not between the old man and the new. Okay, the old man has been crucified. Paul made that just explicitly clear in the previous chapter. It's the new man battling the flesh that incarcerates it. All right. So the new man, the spirit of God is put in us at salvation, but it's incarcerated by our flesh that lingers. And so uh, the, the battle plays out in so many ways in our lives. Think uh, uh, about, for example, the fact that some people think Christianity is all about keeping rules and other people think Christianity is about just being saved once and for all and then being able to do whatever you want to do. Now, just that. That battle right there between, well, you know, maybe we would say tonight we would all agree that, you know, neither of those extremes are right. But where is the balance? I mean, where, where do we lie in the midst of that? And this is sort of the issue that Paul is going to begin to uh, answer for us tonight because it's a real battle. And I remember as a, a young believer, um, I, I just sometimes think that my... Uh, early sanctification process just seems so different from what I hear other people talk about. And, and I don't know really why that, that is, but, uh, I just got saved at, you know, in my mid twenties and, uh, began, I was already in the process of reading through the Bible and that's sort of the way God captivated my heart and, and, uh, revealed my sinful nature to me and brought me to my knees and captivated me by His grace. But in the process of that, I just continued to read the Bible and I, and I just, poured through passages of Scripture like the book of Romans and just uh, began to try to figure this stuff out, you know. And I saw things going on around me that were different from what God was showing me, but I really worked hard at not getting distracted. You know, I just, I guess because I was, uh, I just was such a... um, Let's, how can I say this? I just didn't fit in anywhere, okay? I didn't look like anybody around here. I didn't act like anybody around here. And so the thing is, you loved me and you cared for me, but I wasn't really sure how all this was going to work out. And so I just began to pour through the Bible. And here's what I found. I, I found that people come to Christ and then all these crazy things start happening. I mean, we, 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 I would see people come to Christ and, and, and be liberated from their sin and be forgiven and, and just this unbelievable freedom that comes in Christ and then just slowly go into this unbelievable legalism. You know, just try to be this uh, the greatest rule follower they could be so that they would sort of acclimate themselves into this culture where people patted you on the back when you were good at following rules. And I just struggled with that. Maybe you can relate some. And... Uh, God really used Romans 7 to help me, and I want to help you tonight. So, when you and I became a Christian, at our moment of justification, we did not move from warfare to peace. Now, listen closely. We did not move from warfare to peace in the context that we're talking. When we became a Christian, we moved from a battle we could not win to a battle we could not lose. Now that is so important to understand tonight. So if I lost you on that, you're in trouble all the rest of the night. Okay? You did not go from warfare to peace. Yes, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And yes, peace comes into your heart. But listen, the battle goes on, but it's a completely different battle. The battle that was raging in you and me apart from Christ was a battle no one can win. But once you are redeemed, you cannot lose the battle. You have to understand that. So let's just sort of, let me tell you what we're going to do tonight. It's going to be a little crazy, so you're going to have to stay with me. The book, this, this chapter of Romans is really, it's divided up into two central parts, and then, and it, but, but three themes we're going to look at tonight. And if you'll notice, maybe you want to go home and read this. When you're reading Paul, it's so important to understand tense. Verses 1 through 13, if you'll notice, uh, have a past tense. Okay, he makes all these sort of past tense remarks. And then he transitions in 14 all the way to 25 with a present tense. So, let me just give you how we're going to look at this tonight. Verses 7 through 13, and you don't need to remember this, I'm just telling you so you know. Verses 7 through 13, and these are all on the notes you'll get on the 
uh, computer that will be on the Internet. 7 through 13, illustrate the battle that we couldn't win. Okay, so we'll look at that first briefly. Then, 14 through 25, we'll look at secondly, but that's really going to be next week that we're going to get into in depth. And that illustrates the battle of the Christian life, the battle we cannot lose. But the first six verses of Romans chapter 7 illustrate how the transition between these two battles will come. So I, I want you to understand, Paul begins in the first six verses by saying, now here's how you transition between the two battles. Then he tells you what the two battles are. So maybe that's not the way uh, you or I would communicate it. That's the way the Spirit of God led Paul to communicate it. And so that's what I want you to understand as we uh, as we go through this. All right. So first of all, Let's look at uh, this, this section from 7 to 13, the battle you cannot win, because this, a lot of this, we'll just talk briefly, is sort of carrying over from what we already learned in Romans 6, but new in a few ways. So let's begin reading in Romans 7, beginning in verse 7. Follow along with me in your own Bible. Here we go. What then shall we say is the law sin? Certainly not, Paul says. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Verse 11. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did... Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through through what was good so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now, let me just kind of talk you through this for a few minutes. If you look at verses 7 and 8, what you find is that the law reveals sin. So just simply what 7 and 8 tell us is that the law reveals sin. The law, when you, as you begin to read the law, as you're exposed to the law, it's going to reveal your sinful nature. I don't think that needs a bunch of discussion or explanation. I think that's just obvious. But as we move down to verse 9, we begin to see Paul introducing some new uh, information, some new understanding here. Paul says, once I was alive apart from the law. Now, right there, you've got to stop and think, now, what is Paul talking about? Because Paul is a Jew. Paul is a good Jew, a trained Jew, a very educated Jew. Paul could recite the Ten Commandments when he was knee-high to a grasshopper. When was Paul alive apart from the law? When did that happen? What, what, what does he mean? Well, it, it's not that Paul was alive before he or didn't know the commandments it's it's that his external behavior was good in other words he was such a well-behaved jew that he was alive apart from the law in other words he was such a great rule follower like the rich young ruler that encountered jesus in john chapter 3 he was Good. He kept all the rules. I mean, he thought, hey, I'm okay. I'm, I'm following the law. Everything's great. And so Paul, he says, I was alive until I understood the commandment. You see what he says? He says, but when the commandment came. You see, obviously he's not saying that he didn't know the law and then the commandment came. It's that he knew the law, he thought he was keeping the law, and then the reality of the law came. You see, the real understanding of what the law is came. Suddenly, this new eyes, you know, the scales fell off, and he was able to see the reality of what the law actually is. Then, look at what it says. Sin sprang to life and I died. In other words, the reality of what the commandment is, of what the law is, killed him. 
It slew him. What, what does that mean? That means that when you and I... To see, I know our testimony. There's some things we all share universally because they're just universal to salvation. And that is that when you, apart from Christ, suddenly are exposed to the reality of the law, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, for example, you die. In other words, you realize, I can't keep that. I'm so utterly incapable of living up to what it calls me to, to do and what it calls me to be. You just die. You cannot live in light of the reality of the law of God. It's too much. It's too extensive. It's too comprehensive. It's, it's not humanly possible. And he says, so I died, meaning that I was dead apart from Christ. I realized I had no hope unless something or someone intervened. You see? So he's explaining to us that he's dead on his own when he realized the commandment. Now... For example, Deuteronomy 27, 26, the Bible said, Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. In other words, I just want you to see how God presents the law. There's a lot of leeway here. Don't you hear that leeway? How about when James says in verse chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law but yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. How do you get around that statement? I mean, how, where, how do you... There's no way to live in light of the way the law is presented. So here's the question that's being posed in this chapter. Why did God give His people a law that was impossible to keep? That's what you have to ask. You, you absolutely must ask the text, God, wait a minute. Why did you give a law that is impossible to keep? And the answer is, he didn't. He gave a law that is impossible to keep apart from him. You see? Don't you see the genius of all this? Don't you see the unbelievable wisdom of God? That here's, he brings a law that you have no hope of keeping. That you are utterly a failure in front of. But there is one way to keep it. Through him. You see, in His power, in His strength, suddenly the law becomes... And that's what Paul's getting to. But see, first he wants us to see this, this tension between, well, why, why give this law that we can't keep? Well, that's why. You see? Now, notice here at the end, the very last part of uh, verse 13, through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. You see, the, the truth about God and who God is, it, it gave Paul new eyes to see. I mean, when, when God, God became real to Paul. Paul knew, memorized and knew more scripture than any of us will ever know. But yet, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, something changed. You see, the reality of God, suddenly the, the, the presence of God, the reality of God, all these things, the, the whole, everything that he had known and grown up thinking, it all changed. It wasn't, it wasn't that what he used to know was wrong. It was just that he knew it in an incomplete way. He didn't understand what, what the law really was. The, the Spirit of God in you and I, here's what it does. It transforms. This is what happens when, to, to help you understand this, when, when someone receives Christ, okay, like, not like Courtney this morning. I mean, Courtney is not somebody I don't, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think Courtney has grown up in church all her life. And no, so, you know, Courtney's like me. She just comes from way out there to bam, in the kingdom, just like that. Praise the Lord. And that's how some people come. But then there's some people who have sort of grown up around church all their life. And so they have these, all these ideas about church. And maybe they come up in some different denomination with some totally different thinking. But there comes this moment when the actual truth and reality of the gospel hits them. And then it just, their knees just buckle under the weight of the grace of God. And it's not that everything they used to know was wrong. It's just that they didn't understand it. They didn't have it in the right context. It, what was once just words becomes alive and they're saved. And that's what, that's what Paul is sort of beginning to get us to try to wrap our heads around. Okay? So there's a battle that you can't win. And that is the battle in your flesh apart from God against the law. 
No one can win it. You cannot win it. It is impossible to win. No one even comes close. Only Christ. Only Christ. Okay? So, that's not really new information. It's just a little new context. Now, let's, let's move briefly into the second part. Verses 14 through 25. The battle that you can't lose. And we'll take these scriptures apart next week. But I just want to sort of allude to them a little bit before we get to the part we're going to really jump into tonight. In 14 through 25, we see this battle of the believer. Okay, this is a different battle. It's summarized to perfection by Paul in Galatians chapter 5. It's sort of just a condensed version of everything Paul says in these passages of what this new battle is. He says this in uh, Galatians 5, verse 17 and 18, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Now, these are familiar, but I want you to listen now with new ears after understanding Romans chapter 6. That... This nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another so that you do not do what you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, let me just draw your attention to a couple things. First of all, in verse 17, these two contrary, uh, polar opposite Tensions, right? That are, that are battling against each other. There's this sinful nature, desires to do what is contrary to the spirit. Now, if you weren't sharp like you are, if you weren't smart like you are, if you weren't educated like you are, you might think, well, well, this is this inner tension now, but in the believer between the old man and the new man. No. Listen to what it says. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what who wants to do? You want to do. Now, that's very important. Why? You might make a little notation in your Bible. It doesn't say what the Spirit wants you to do. It says what you want to do. That is a huge difference. Okay? So this battle, but... And then that's just the most beautiful word in all the Bible right here in this... I mean, thank goodness for this word. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words... Here's this grand tension going on between the Spirit of God and the flesh. And therefore, it battles back and forth. And oftentimes, you won't do what you want to do. But, see, if it just ended right there, defeat. But what does it say? If you're led by the Spirit, what happens? Can you lose? Can you miss? Can you stumble? Can, I mean, you see, in other words, we get hung up on the, the battle, but we miss the the solution. I mean, verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What a glorious truth. Paul says it again in, in, uh, Col- in Colossians chapter 3, 8 and 9. He says this, but now you yourselves are to put off. Now, this, this threw some of you a couple weeks ago. So I had to help some of you who were having some problems about, you know, this pulling off the old man thing. And so now listen closely. Paul says, but now you yourselves are to pull off All these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who who created him. Now, wait a minute. Now, Tony, you said last week that the Bible doesn't call us to put off the old man. That's exactly what I said. And that's exactly what this says. Look closely at what the Bible says. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you have. Past tense. You already did. It's already done. I mean, what you're putting off the old man is just a shell. It's a husk. It's dead. You follow me? This is, a, this is dead. This has been done. So this isn't this, the old man, new man. I know I harp on this, but so many people get tangled up on this. All right, so there's a battle of the believer. Now, let's look at these six passages, one through six, and I want you to see the transition between these two battles, okay? And this will all start to come together, and then next week it will just be amazing if God chooses to just illuminate all this to us and put all the pieces together into one beautiful picture. So let's look together verse by verse at one through six. It illustrates this transition between these two battles, the one that you cannot win and the one that you cannot lose. All right, let's uh, read together beginning in verse one. Paul says, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those 
who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Sound familiar? Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Verse 6. But now we have, deli- we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And let me just explain this to you, okay? And hopefully the light bulbs will start coming on. The tension Paul is addressing lies between the, the, the Jewish culture that really is centered around three basic things. The law, the temple, and circumcision. That's sort of what they based everything around. That was the big three for them. That was everything mattered uh, uh, in, you know, underneath those three things. And so they were very much concerned about the law. It was a big issue. Paul comes along and starts preaching this new gospel. And he starts talking about, well, the only way you're going to be right with God is through faith alone. Well, this throws them completely off task. Okay? Now, I wish I could say that, well, now we need to think about what it would be like. But if you ask me, this is the church today. This exact struggle is what's going on today in so many churches with so many believers. The question is, what is the purpose of the law now? And I'm I'm sure that many of you are asking this question in your heart. But how do I, as a believer, approach the law? What is the purpose of it in my life? How does it work with me? I mean, how do I address it? You know, how do I... and, And here's how I know that's a big problem. Because, you see, the manifestation of not understanding what we're about to say plays out this way. You know that that feeling that you get where you know you ought to be reading your Bible? But here's the issue. The issue really is not that you don't have time. We know that's not true. The issue really is that you hate the mornings and can't get up early because that's not true. Because there's, you know, there's, you're watching TV in the evenings. You're doing all these other things. I mean, there's time. What's the problem? Why is that one thing such a huge struggle for so many people? And here's the deal. When we finally get convicted to the point where we can't stand it anymore, then we always opt for prayer. Anything but to read the Bible. Why? Because we don't understand our relationship to the law. And here's what. It makes you sort of secretly, you don't ever admit this, you want to repel the law. You're you're afraid of the Bible. You're afraid of the things that it'll say and the things that it that it'll convict you of and the the changes it's going to cause you to make. And so you're you're resistant, you're hesitant. And then when you do read the Bible, it's sort of just tiptoeing along like, ooh, and you just don't want to step on a landmine because, you know, and then you're picking like, I think I'm going to, let me find a good song. Now, here's the thing. Wouldn't you think that if you were an alien from another planet and you were just kind of listening in or you were just doing a little survey, if you, you know, for Martians about Christians on Earth and you were sort of writing your little report, wouldn't your report say, you know, one of the strange things about these Christians is, is they, 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 they champion the Bible? They, man, they sing about the Bible. They carry their Bibles around. They talk about the Bible. They, they, you know, they, they love to, to act like they want to learn the Bible. They want to, but they don't read the Bible. Isn't that weird? Why? Why don't we read the Bible? Why don't we love the Bible like, like nectar? Why don't we just absolutely envelop the Word of God? Why don't we wake up just dry in our bones, aching to read God's Word so it would just just wash over us like a refreshing spring. See, that's what it's supposed to be. Why? Because when you got this out of whack, the devil has got you pinned. 
And you're, you're afraid of it. You resist it. And you've never said what I'm saying right now to anybody because it's too embarrassing, too shameful. But the truth of the matter is, you're just afraid. And you know what? You ought not be. And this ought to teach you right here tonight. The first thing Paul teaches us in this passage is, we are free from the law. Now, I know you don't know what that means yet, but let's just think about a couple things. In Romans chapter 5, here's what Paul said in 5. He explained to us that we were born sinners through Adam. He said in 5.12, he said, Therefore, just as though one man is through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So we're all sinners born in sin because of Adam. Then in chapter 6, Paul explains that we were slaves to sin apart from Christ. A reminder, he said, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, but now you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, doesn't that sound good? Now, when you read that, do you just think, Oh, I wish that was true of me? It is. Now, you may not be living like it is, but it is. So in Romans 7, Paul starts talking about marriage. What is he talking about? Well, let me tell you what he's not talking about. If anybody ever tries to teach you about the, 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 the biblical stance for marriage and divorce out of Romans chapter 7, they're wrong. That's got nothing to do with this. Okay? That's not what Paul's talking about. Let, let's think about what he says. Look at verse 2. For the woman who has a husband, is bound to the law, bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Now, if I die, I mean, I can remember a few things about 18 years ago, but somewhere, sometime, I stood on a stage and I professed my undying love for the rest of my life to my wife, Lisa, and I said, till death do us part. But come death, we parted. See, if I die, she's free. She's no longer obligated to the law to, to be married to me. So what Paul is teaching here is that the law, listen closely, has no jurisdiction over the dead. You with me? Huh? Because now it's starting to start coming together. The law has no jurisdiction over the dead. So every person is born under the law, the righteous requirements of the law. It is not. It is not that, that, that the law doesn't matter. It is not that now that Christ has come and now that salvation has become a reality in our lives that we need to just drop the law, throw the law out, not pay attention to the law. No. But we were born under the law and then Christ comes and meets the requirement of the law. You see, he doesn't just in a legal form, sort of, okay, Christ lives a perfect life. Therefore, you know, in the heavenly courts above, we're all stamped innocent. No. Think about what the Bible says. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin. See, it wasn't that, that, that he, that, you know, our sin was upon him or he received, he became sin. So he paid in reality, in actuality, he became our sin and therefore satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. So there's no loophole. There's no Christians don't get some free pass. It's not just because, and this is confusing to some people who are, are, are new to Christianity or just come visit a church like this. They, they're confused that somehow like Christ is some superhero that if you just put your faith in Him, He's going to protect you and He's going to keep the bad guys from swallowing you up. No, no, here's the thing. He became our sin. Literally became to satisfy the righteous requirements of the law that we had utterly no hope of ever achieving. That's important. So when Paul says, again, that we heard the last couple of weeks in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. You see this union that cannot be separated through baptism into death? That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Very important. So, we 
are free from the law. Now, here's the second part. Freedom from the law, the fact that we're free from the law, produces more righteousness in our lives, not more lawlessness. Now, this is contrary to what many people uh, believe and certainly what the natural man would understand. But listen to what Paul says. Therefore, my brethren... And by the way, he doesn't say, therefore, brethren. He says, therefore, my brothers. And whenever Paul, in the Greek, whenever you have that, my brothers, that's a very intimate, close word. It's, it's very, it's very family-oriented. So Paul is sort of reeling us in, and he's saying, now, my brothers, listen. You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another... To who? To Him. You see what Paul says? To Him. Because the law has no jurisdiction over the dead. And when you were justified, when you became a Christian, the old man died. So the law has... So listen, you were once married... Now think about it. You were once married. You were married to the law. You couldn't get out of it. There was a lifelong commitment. You stood on an altar somewhere back in the uh, annals of time before you knew it, and you were just, you came out married to the law. There's no way around it. There's no hope. Unless there's a death. Now do you see why Paul's talking about marriage? And so when the old man is crucified, when you're baptized with Christ in his death, you then become free from the law. And what does Paul say? That you may be married to another. Oh, man. Who? To Him. How about that? To Him who was raised from the dead. Unless you don't know who capital H-I-M is. So we need a little understanding because somebody might try to, you know, some false prophet might try to twist that around. Oh, no, it was the only one who was raised from the dead. That we should bear fruit to God. You see, this is this discussion about marriage for when we were, because here's where we were. When we were married to the law, we were stuck under the law. This is what we, we were in the flesh. That's where we were. Paul's going to break it down right here in verse five. He's going to say you were in the flesh. That's where you were. You know what? You were married to sinful passions. You, you remember? You see, y'all haven't been saved so long you forgot that, have you? Because that's where you were. I know tonight you look all nice and pretty and clean and shiny and all that, but you used to be married to sinful passions. Or you're still married to sinful passions. It's one or the other. But you see, you were married to sinful passions. And which, what? Aroused by the law. You see, the law arouses sin. Now, how does that work? Well... It's this sin that's at work in our members. And, and let me just get this part down, and then we'll go back to this arousal of sin. It, this work in our members to bear fruit to death. Now, when I was lost, here's how my life went. I wasn't just idle. I was busy. And what was I busy doing? I was busy trying to find wholeness and happiness for Tony. And let me tell you, it was a lot of work. Because you, you stay up late at night and you go out and do all these things and you're all around here and you spend all kinds of money and you're busy, you're working and you're trying to do what? You're trying to fill the void inside of you. You're trying to find happiness. You're trying to find contentment. You're trying to fix all these things. You're working, working, working and it's just bearing fruit, fruit, fruit. Death, death, death. The wages of sin, death. And so you're just, you're just striving in nowhere. You're just digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. And the harder you try, the worse it gets. And you go round and round and round. And then the law comes in and it arouses even more sin. Now, how does that work? Well, because my sinful nature is to want to break the rules. Now, I've never wanted to break a rule I didn't know existed. It's when I know the rule exists that I suddenly want to break it. Right? Yes. You see, don't act self-righteous with me, you sinners. You know you want to do the same thing. Soon as somebody says, no, you can't, hmm, we start thinking. You see, God is paying me back. He's paying me back. Because, you know, every time I shake my head and I just think, Lord, you got to help me. What are, what, you know, what, what, am, what are my kids doing to me now? And then I think about, what, what did I do? Yeah. See, then God reminds me. 
that I wasn't allowed. Let me, let me just show you how this works. And, and, cause I was the, I was such a beautiful sinner. Here's what I did. My mom explained to me that there was one particular place in the house that was completely and utterly and totally off limits. You know what that was? The little danger zone under the sink where all the things will kill you. That place. So I'm six years old and my sister's four. And, and she explains to me, you don't go in there, you don't touch that, because she had the little stupid lock thing, which I immediately got through that. And so she's like, you don't do that if you go in there, nah, 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 all that. So all I could think about was that cabinet. I was obsessed with the cabinet. Like, what do I care about cleaning stuff? But I want it in that cabinet. And so here's what happens. True story. My mom, we lived in an apartment building in Hawaii. I'm six years old, and the laundry room was downstairs. So guess what? Mm-hmm. Whenever she started doing laundry, I knew it'd take a long time to get down there and a long time to get back. So she went out, got in the elevator with a laundry basket, and I went straight over that cabinet. And I got in that cabinet, and I started digging around in there. And I'm thinking, there's nothing good in here. And then all of a sudden, I found something amazing. Two giant bottles of Comet. Wow. Do you know what you can do with Comet? You can make snow all over the house. Everywhere you look is snow. I mean, I made a snow festival. Snowman, comet festival. It was beautiful. I thought it was great. My little sister was sitting in the middle of the living room, screaming her head off, and I'm running around with comet going everywhere. My mom comes in. The whole living room is white. And I'm standing there like, I didn't do it. She did it. And she literally has a picture of our living room covered in comet. Now, here's the thing. If you'd have just never even mentioned under the sink, do you think I would have cared? Nope. Wouldn't have cared. But man, don't tell me I can't. Because the sinful nature in me wants to. It arouses sin. But here's what happens. The more rules I'm aware of, the more rebellious I become. Now, now think this out. The sinful passions... Paul says, which were aroused by the law, were at work in my members to bear fruit, much fruit to death. All right? Legalism, under the law, trying to earn your way to righteousness, is going to cause you to sin more. More secretly. That's what legalism does. You know anybody that's in a very legalistic environment? They go to some church and it's just like super legalistic. We should have done this in three parts. Super legalistic, right? What, what, what are they, what happens? They always, they, they, you ever watch closely? There's always this, uh, secret side to everything, isn't there? Legalism will make you sin more in secret. That's what it does. And, and so it has this reverse problem. So the same law that tortured me when I was in the flesh, okay, because I was under it and I couldn't achieve it and I couldn't do it, and it was bringing death upon me, now, in this new marriage to Christ, brings life. Now, here's how that works. How, how is our relationship with Christ described? Now, we are the bride of Christ, and He is the bridegroom, right? So what now this law that used to just stand over us and hover over us like, you know, total instantaneous mortal death that we could no, no way, shape or form uh, live up to. Now there's been a death. Now we're free to marry him. See, the bride is now free to marry the bridegroom. And the law, instead of hanging over us and saying, has already been fulfilled on our behalf. And so the law that once was horrible and brought death, now what does it do? It brings life. What happens? You know that if you, if I asked you, when was the time in your life when you were most satisfied with God, when you were most at peace with God, when they, it was when you were walking closest with Him, when you were obedient to His Word, you know why? Because now the law brings life. See, now this is good. This is why we should wake up in the morning and go, I don't want Cheerios. I don't want Pop-Tarts. I want Romans. That's what I want. Because this brings life. Because here's what this does. This teaches me how to live in such a way that it blesses the one I'm married to, that it brings joy and satisfaction to through the one I'm married to, that He gives me the strength through His Spirit to live the life that apart from Him I couldn't live, that the more His grace pours out on me, the more obedient I want to be, the more of His Word I want, the more obedience I... Don't you see how this works? And we get it twisted around. 
And the enemy just convinces us, no. You see, you can't achieve that. You can't be that. You can't. And you need to tell the enemy, shut up. You're right. I already know that. But that guy's dead. And now I'm free to remarry. And this new marriage, this law is like nectar to my soul. Now, you, you, you getting this now? So freedom from the law, it produces more righteousness, not more lawlessness. Why are we afraid of grace? Why? Listen, if it wasn't for grace, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Grace is unbelievable. It's fantastic. It's So lastly, and then we're done. Because we do have to have a business meeting, so let's hurry. Number three, grace leads to less sin, not more. And here's how, and then we're done. Verse six. Paul says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. Okay? We died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Let me just help you with a couple things. When, when Paul says that we should serve in the newness, that word serve, that doesn't mean serve like serve you lemonade. That word is a word that is used to, uh, to give a, a term of slavery. Now, now listen. That word, Paul used that word because that word has a connotation of to be held captive by. Now read it. Now, so that we should be held captive by. We should be enslaved by. We should be utterly immersed in or possessed by the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Man, that's good. That's good. That, that's just the shortcoming of English, folks. That is an amazing word. That we are captive by that. So the redeemed are in a battle, but it's a new battle. It's a battle you cannot lose. You cannot lose. You can't. You can stumble. You can fall. You can suffer consequences. We all know that. You can have people say, well, you knew you shouldn't have done it when you did it, but now you got to suffer the consequences. But you don't lose. You can't lose. You're married to the bridegroom who has defeated the law that we're still trying to let hang over our heads. No. No. We're free. So, that, see, the, the, the gospel is oftentimes presented as this tightrope. you got to walk the line. Because if you fall off this way, there's too many rules, it's going to be legalism. But if you fall off this way, it's too much grace and it's going to be chaos. That's not true. That is not true. That is not in the Bible. I mean, here's the Apostle Paul telling you, you are dead to the law. I mean, how much more straightforward does it have to be? What, what is it in us that goes, don't say that, everybody's going to start. No, you're not. Saved people who understand this are the most obedient, productive, unbelievable members of the body of Christ you'll ever meet because they love the law. Like David, it's the delight of their heart. I mean, we, we live for it. It's like our nectar. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so we've got to remember that we've been called to this newness of spirit that we... This lie of the enemy that, that grace is somehow dangerous and that we have to keep it in check. Listen. No. This grace is amazing grace. This grace allows us to, to know the Lord and to love the Lord and to be loved by Him. And because of the death that transpired, we're no longer married to the law. But now we're married to Him who enables and empowers the law. And so we ought to love this book. We ought to love this book. You ought to be so thankful for the people who are in your life that teach you the Word of God, your Sunday school teachers, your small group leaders, your parents, your grandparents, your neighbors, your friends. I mean, when you have problems and struggles and they whip out the Bible, you ought to say, thank you, Lord, they're in my life. Because this is so precious and so wonderful. You need to come out from under this fear that somehow this is hanging over your head saying, well, you just can't measure up. no. And you know what? Let's just, be, let's just be real rational about this whole thing. Let's just call the enemy on his bluff. If you and I could lose this war that's going on within us, then is, would anyone here be victorious? Would anyone here make it? You see, if every time 
I have a wrong thought or every time the flesh, I give in to the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit like I can. If somehow it was defeat. If somehow there was some mark against me. You see, then what happens to all those Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament? Oh, you're white as snow. See, snow. Where's the marks? They're not there. Because the righteous perfection of Jesus Christ took me out from under the law and now I am free to live and breathe in this precious Word and love every moment of it. And if you tonight are apart from Christ, you cannot win that battle. Cannot. And if you're in a battle tonight that you can't lose, then praise God, maybe you understand it a little better and now you're going to be walking in victory because you can't lose. Because Jesus Christ doesn't lose ever. Praise God for that. Let's stand, bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word, God. Thank You. Thank You, God, that You teach us what we would absolutely never figure out on our own. Thank You, Lord, for that. Thank You, God, for teaching us the truth about where we stand in relationship to Your law. God, forgive us for being afraid of it and for pushing back from it, Lord, and for resisting it, God. Forgive us for looking at other people in our lives who, who love to study Your Word and, and, and going, I wish I could just be like them. Maybe they have some gift I don't have. Lord, will You please help us? Help us to walk in the freedom that Your Son lived, died, and rose again to give us. And Lord, may we not ever fall into the trap of thinking we could lose this battle because you don't lose. We're not fighting it. You've already fought it. The verdict is in. The hammer has fallen. The victory is yours and all who belong to you share in the spoils. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you tonight, God. Now, will you do among us what only you can do? Will you touch our hearts and help us, Lord, to overcome our fear, to make the decisions you're calling us to make, to bring you glory in Jesus' name.